Efficiency Services Group partners with publicly owned electric utilities to deliver energy efficiency programs and services. ESG serves as an extension of energy services staff, bringing a wealth of skills and experience to provide direct install programs, customer care kits, field auditing and inspections, utility staff training, and reporting for Bonneville Power Administration customers and California utilities. Learn more about how ESG can benefit your energy efficiency organization at EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. That's EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Cashpole, reporter with Newsday is Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and editor of Newsday's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're back after the July 4th weekend with some of the top stories we've been working on lately. Jason, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked. How, how have yeah. you been doing? I'm doing doing well, Dan. Um, yeah, I had an interesting thing. My, my daughter had her ninth birthday and uh, got a new sp- skateboard and promptly broke her wrist. Ooh, on the second time on it. So there you go. That was <laughs> traumatic. Yeah, we went to the skate park and uh she rode around for a bit and she kept asking to, you know, drop in on the it's like a th- maybe three foot wall. And uh I kept saying no, and then she went over and did it anyhow. And just a small fracture, but this is how we learn. She yeah. all kinds of safety gear go. on. But yeah, a little trip to the emergency room and uh little learning experience about gravity there from Marielle. How's things with you? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, things are good. And um, yeah, you know, hey, if nothing else, you got a good uh, example of like, and this is why I said no, you know, so. But uh, so she's healing well, I take it. No, she is scary, uh, you know, but but all healing well. Good. That's that's the best kind of lesson. She's ready to get back on her skateboard. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's how you learn, I suppose. You've got kids. It's um it's tough when they get hurt, and I, I would rather break my own arm for sure, but I don't one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Well, so what do you it's just what, fine. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's great. That's part of oh yeah, I, I always tell my kids like I said this with scraped knees, you know, broken bones, if you can avoid it, great. But um, yeah. you know, I'm like, that's part of childhood. Yeah. Fall yeah. down, get scraped and you get back up again. It's going to happen. I had yeah. the same injury she had. There you go. So what do you, what stories do you have for us this week? All right. Well, I have California Air Resources Board leading truck manufacturers uh, and uh, truck and engine manufacturers association entering into new a partnership to advance the development of ZEV vehicles. Then I have the California Public Utilities Commission turning down requests for a rehearing of its controversial net energy metering decision. And then I have a little update on offshore wind and uh, economic boon from offshore wind would be limited, according to a new report. All right. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, an update on a report or a story about a latest report about pathways to a net zero emissions future for the Northwest, Mm -hmm. an update on the long-awaited Boardman to Hemingway 500 
uh, KV transmission line running from Idaho to Oregon. But first, I was going to talk talk about my column that I had this last week on the problem of transmission in the West. And this mm-hmm. came out of the panel that I hosted at our webinar a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so it was about resource adequacy and uh, transmission. And it, you know, as I was writing this column and going over what was discussed, I had uh, Neil Millar from Kaiso, Mike Wilding from Pacific Core, and Randy Hardy, former uh, administrator of the Bonneville Power Administration, on the panel, all talking about you know how transmission resource adequacy interplay and and how they um, we can use transmission to really build a robust and uh, resource adequate. Uh, in the West and you know avoid capacity shortfalls as we try to decarbonize, deal with climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, it yeah. struck me as I was you know, trying to just sit with all these different, very big issues that kind of all come together at a head on the on the wires that move the energy around in the West, that the transmission grid is really it's a problem of the commons. So mm-hmm. the problem of the commons, this goes back and I, I can't think of the economist who's who came up with this, but it's basically the idea of uh, like, let's say there's a, a common pasture in a village and everybody's got you know goats or cows, or whatever, and they all let their livestock out onto the commons to graze. They all benefit from it, but no one particular person has an incentive individually to invest in it for the benefit of all. Yeah. The problem is, how do we take a collective common good and make sure that it's aligned so that individuals invest in it so that we can all still enjoy this public good? And as we are putting more and more demands on the power system, it increasingly seems that the incentives that helped the transmission grid get built you know, over the past 50, 60 years are misaligned with the needs of tomorrow and we are creating a problem of the commons so that there's just not the incentives uh, for a lot of parties to come together to create big interregional or even really robust regional uh, transmission lines to really tap into the diversity and flexibility of widespread generation and demand and uh, really build out the system to where we need it to be, you know, over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, you know, this is uh, the, the transmission, the need to build out transmission for resource adequacy is increasingly becoming a topic of conversation, but it it's still, it feels like it's one that's, it's not really, the focus isn't as urgent. The focus on it is not as urgent, it seems, uh, as neat as it needs to be. I think this is kind of perfectly summed up with the money that went in that was um, you know, directed in the Inflation Reduction Act that put, I forget the exact numbers, but you know, like 50, 60, 70 billion uh, in direct incentives plus uh, tax uh, credits towards building resources of you know renewable energy and also just uh, resources that we're going to help with uh, eliminate or decrease greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. There's a lot of incentives lined up to build generation and there's a lot of money 
in terms of public policy being put behind it. And there's a lot of focus on making it easier to permit and yeah, move along development of projects because we realize if we're going to decarbonize, we need a lot more generation, right? Uh, yeah. And if we're going to have a avoid capacity shortfalls, we're going to need a lot more generation, especially as we bring on intermittent resources, et cetera. That is lacking when it comes to transmission. That same bill, in, in uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which had all these tens of billions of dollars for new resources, had like three or four billion for transmission projects and not just transmission projects, but a couple of things, but, you know, major, like that's the pool that transmission can draw from. We're going to need a lot more investment transmission uh, if we're going to actually be able to access all of those resources that we're trying to green light. But oh, yes. again, you know, you, when you're dealing with projects that need to be built across state lines, uh, apro- across organized market lines, across balancing authorities. And, you know, I'm not talking about 500 KV projects, but projects that can move. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, 500, but like just projects that in terms of the capacity, um, I guess not the voltage, but the megawatt capacity, you know, we're talking gigawatt level. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these, the again, the regulatory processes don't line up too. Um, so that, yeah, and there's something... Neil from Kaisa was talking about of you know just how trying to get all these uh, build across from Kaiso to the rest of the West and trying to line up all the different timelines, just the timelines of the different regulatory bodies when you're dealing with multiple state agencies trying to come together to get approval for a line. That's complicated enough, and then you th- like that's just one small slice of the the problem. So I mean, yeah. it's just it's one of these things where it's like. This is what it is. The the incentives just don't line up. And these this is a problem that is going to require this it's gonna be have to be solved if we're gonna solve all these other things. Um and I mean, and that's like an objective statement, right? Like if you are going to take gas offline, take coal offline, add in intermittent resources for growing demand because of electrification and to decarbonize. Uh, and that, you know, intermittent resources, growing demand, you're going to need a lot more resource or generation, and you're going to need a lot more transmission. And if we do not line up these incentives, everything stalls out because the power grid is congested and cannot keep up. Yeah, uh, you look at the numbers for California, some staggering numbers of what we need for clean energy. I would point out, you know, my column last week was on a panel discussion at the uh, Western EIM governing body, and they did a whole thing on interregional planning. And there is an international or interregional coordination framework that is being developed between the ISO and other balancing authorities. And they were making some similar points. They said, you know, uh, you can't just uh, wait for the generation or the resources to be built and then start thinking about transmission you've got to do it in a more holistic way so there, there are efforts under underway and you have the FERC you know federal state task force but it's a thorny issue you know the stuff's hard to build and uh you're right the incentives need to be there for bigger projects not just the the smaller ones that seem to be uh the current focus under you know order 1000 for quarter 1000 
So, yeah, you know, I with that July Fourth weekend, I, um, I I should have spent some more time with your column, and uh, I'm sure that I should have referenced it at least. So sorry about no, that. That's all right. Uh, no, no but you know, I listeners, please uh, check out our columns. And yes. I would love to hear from folks if you have some thoughts about how we move forward, because this it does seem to me to be something that like the framework right now just is not going to allow us to build up the transmission on the level and scope that we need. But solving it, aligning those incentives seems like you kind of almost have to rebuild the process from like the ground up. Uh, and mm-hmm. it seems just like really hard and clunky. How do you take together, take the current regulatory approval process uh, and just incentives and like cobble it together in this really ungainly <laughs> kind of thing to like, you've got to add on all these fixes, right? And mm-hmm. maybe hopefully it's easier than it seems, but I would love to hear from folks who have some thoughts on this. My email is dcatchpole, so D as in Daniel, catchpole uh, at newsdata.com. So Mine please is- drop me a line. Mine is jasonf at newsdata.com, which is reverse of yours. First yeah. name, last initial. But <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, I never thought about that. Usually it's consistent, but there you go. That's that's. <laughs> I need to talk to Dan Sackett. <laughs> yeah, our IT guy. Our hardworking yes, IT. Our very capable guy. IT guy. Yeah, well... So, uh, yeah, I don't want to take up all our time on transmission. Yeah. It is fascinating, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. so you've got a story about CARB and uh, truck manufacturers. Yeah, July 6, CARB, uh, leading truck manufacturers and the Truck and Engine Manufacturers Association entered into a partnership to advance the development of zero emission vehicles for the commercial trucking industry, calling this an unprecedented collaboration between California regulators and truck manufacturers. CARB Chair Leanne Randolph said this marks a new era in the zero emission future where we work together to address the needs of both the trucking industry and the Californians who deserve to breathe clean air. Under terms of this agreement, CARB will align with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's 2027 regulations for nitrogen oxide emissions and modify elements of its own 2024 NOx emissions regulations by allowing manufacturers to provide offsets as necessary to maintain the state's emission targets. Agency also commits to providing at least four years of lead time and three years of regulatory stability before imposing new regulations. Meanwhile, the manufacturers commit to meeting CARB's ZEV and criteria pollutant regulations in the state, regardless of attempts by other entities to challenge California's authority. Biden administration in March approved California's waiver under the Federal Clean Air Act that allows the state to become the first jurisdiction in the world to require zero emission technology for trucks. And uh, in addition to CARB and the EMA, the Clean Truck Partnership includes Cummins, Daimler Truck, Ford, General Motors, Kino Motors, Suzu, Navistar, Packard, Stellantis, and Volvo. So some big names there. And it's nice to see, you know, this trucking industry has been pretty uh, vocal in their uh, criticism of California's uh, mandates, but uh, it looks like some collaboration here and uh, a way to move things forward, hopefully, as we get into the big ZEV future. And speaking of decarbonization, you've got something for us on pathways to decarb? 
the uh, Clean Energy Transition Institute in the Northwest came out with a report recently, uh, Net Zero Northwest Technical and Economic Pathways to 2050. So it uh, one, it's a three-part study on health impacts, workforce effects, and most importantly for our purposes, energy. And it looks at all energy uses. Uh, obviously, our focus is mostly on the electric power side, but uh, it's a fascinating study, very data rich, uh, deep dive. I encourage people to go check it out. There's lots to play around with on their website. Cool. They estimate, though, that or the report says that even though it uh, electricity use in the Northwest is expected to more than double over the next uh, coming decades, the next 30 years, that the Northwest can reach net zero emissions by 2050, but this is going to require deliberate action starting sooner than later. One of it's got some really interesting uh, and surprising uh, projections in here, and this is based on you know, the this economic modeling. So, setting aside political issues, uh, they the report actually found their modeling found uh, that. Montana is going to see electricity demand grow the most because they think they say it makes the most sense to become a hub of product of renewable hydrogen production uh, and large a lot of that being used uh, to convert into liquid fuel for export to do things like replace uh, you know fossil fuel gasoline. Uh, so you know, it, I say that's surprising because right now uh, Montana, Legislatures are very much opposed to uh, that sort of investment, uh, and instead have been, you know, taking steps to back um, fossil fuel generation and uh, you know, the coal industry. Uh, and you see this uh, Washington State very much throwing its weight behind renewable hydrogen. But this this study is saying, you know, based on the data, economic modeling, we're going to see a re- exact uh, flip of that if you know people follow the what is in their economic economic self-interest but yeah fascinating um study really deep dive some other things it says uh you know that they sees oregon actually underdeveloping offshore wind because the money for developing offshore wind is really going to be is really going to be drawn down to california because it's just a you you got a much better resource much better return on investment there uh for offshore wind yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, just lots and lots of interesting things to dive into. Uh, it's also, and and it's based on the Net Zero America kind of modeling that was done by Princeton University and Evolved Energy, one of the modeling consulting firms or uh, analytical firms that helped with that Net Zero America report, uh, did the modeling for this report for the Clean Energy Transition Institute, and it also it's the first of its kind to take a comprehensive look at net zero emissions uh, pathways for a region. And it also includes um, completely the Inflation Reduction Act and its uh, dynamics and the variables. It's certainly worth taking a look at. Oh, cool. Good write up there. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. So back down to California for uh, another uh, update on net metering. Yes, the ongoing saga of net metering in California. PUC on June 30th issued an order just denying two applications for rehearing of its decision to revise 
the net energy metering tariff program. This was requests for rehearing from the Center for Biological Diversity, the Protect Our Communities Foundation, and the Environmental Working Groups, which they all filed a joint application in January against the decision. The order from the CPU states, quote, we have carefully considered the arguments raised in this application. We deny rehearing as legal error has not been shown. Of course, it was in December the CPC unanimously approved the re revisions to the NEM tariff, shifted, shifting the focus from rooftop solar to rooftop solar plus battery storage and leaving in place a compensation structure for leg legacy solar. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, this decision, as we covered extensively, got a lot of negative public feedback, strong disapproval from solar and environmental interests because it re reduced the payout for rooftop solar systems. That was to address what the CPC, CPC says is a cost shift, negative, negatively affecting lower income utility ratepayers that don't have solar. Um, CPC, uh, well, the, I guess the complaint alleged that the CPC committed legal error in making major changes to its tariff with for commercial and industrial customers without record basis. In its denial, the CPUC countered the application's claims by disbarring some as, quote, misguided, wrong, incorrect, or having lack of merit. CPC said the statute does not require the commission to, quote, maintain the current growth rates, unquote, of rooftop solar. And uh, yeah, they emphasize growth of the market should not come at the undue and burdensome financial expense of non-participant rate pairs. I wonder, I assume this is going to end up in court at some big uh, associations and interest groups fighting this decision. So might see that one hitting the legal system here at some point. That's I imagine our, so. Yeah, that's... Reporting from Jaden Young, our new intern who is doing a spectacular job. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some really strong interns this summer. Uh, nice to see. Lots I'm really impressed. Fresh faced really enthusiasm and uh, some very talented reporters. Yeah. Coming in and uh, dissecting these complex topics in a couple of days and putting out quality work. And yeah. yeah. We're really enjoying working with Jaden. Yeah. And likewise up here with uh, Kate Susan. Yeah. We'll maybe have them on sometime. We should. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, uh, moving back to the Northwest, the Boardman to Hemingway transmission project, a 500 kV line running between Idaho and Oregon, got approval from, uh, got the final regulatory approval it needs from the Oregon uh, State Commission. It's a project, joint project between Idaho Power and Pacific Core that uh, they say they need to, you know, for resource adequacy. And uh, just to ensure access to affordable energy and keep their systems, uh, you know, resource adequate through increasingly tight, tight days. Uh, the the project though is not done with its regulatory per uh, hurdles. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. They still need to get a water quality permit from Idaho and a, another permit from the U.S. Corps of Engineers. It does look like, though, they are getting really close to finally actually breaking ground later this year. They have been working on this project uh, for almost 20 years. They started back sure. in, I think, uh, about 2007, 2008. So, That's long incredible. time coming. Incredible. Yeah. To your points you were making earlier about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, just an over. Yeah, it's always easy to build new transmission, <laughs> especially when it's running to offshore wind. I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, you've got a story about offshore wind for us. Yes, um, this is uh, a new report. Locals hoping for a substantial economic windfall from offshore wind projects will probably be disappointed. Um, this is a readiness analysis released on July 5th. It was, it's based on a uh, pilot project, Cademo, which is or Cal Demo, Cademo, which will be four 15 megawatt floating turbines expected to be operational at the end of 2027 as a precursor to large, large projects. Uh, this will be off the Vandenberg Space Force Base in Santa Barbara County. Research has found the potential for industry-related uh, manufacturing, particularly along the central coast, is slim, and construction and operations job creation would be substantial. Quote, as with other offshore wind projects on the central coast, Kademo's primary jobs impact, like that of a much larger projects in the federal Moro Bay lease area, will take place at major port facilities outside the immediate region, Largest challenge for workforce and supply chain needs will be in the marine sector, primarily due to the Federal Jones Act, which requires use of U.S. flagged vessels and the state's increased offshore emissions standards. Additionally, California faces problems inherent in ramping up most nascent industries, which are lack of necessary equipment facilities, uh, lack of infrastructure and job training programs, Oil and gas industry might be able to assist in some areas where their needs overlap, according to the report. This report was produced by the Offshore Wind High Road Training Partnership, funded through early 2024 by the California Workforce Development Board, and includes Cademo's owner and developer, Flaventis, as well as state building construction and electrical unions. Um, so I guess the the overarching point here is you're not going to see much local development or economic boon from offshore wind, but it'll be more dispersed to other areas. And you also have the questions of ports. I think you'll generally see the larger ports being put to use for this. And uh, there are a lot of work that needs to be done there to accommodate the massive uh, equipment and, you know, uh, sections and pieces of these massive turbines so yeah kind of interesting and reporting from rory sweeney there and uh on the economic benefits of offshore wind maybe a little bit limited for the places where they're actually built yeah no this is this was a really interesting uh report here from rory and just another example of how deep these issues are um that you start getting into things like uh, you know, infrastructure con- and construction at ports to be able to accommodate you know, pieces of equipment that are hundreds and hundreds of feet long um, yeah. and need to move through there. So nothing yeah. simple or a few things are simple in this industry. Oh, man, this offshore wind, something we've been covering, you know, just the port modifications, the the job training, the engineering, mammoth mammoth tasks here. But it uh, look, looks like we might have this first pilot project in the next uh, four years or so coming up here near the Space Force base. So yeah. that'll be cool. Very exciting. It'll be, uh, and I know you guys will be following it. So yes, we stay shall. tuned, everybody. You can check well, it out. In the meantime, uh, that's all from us. 
I'm Dan Catchpole. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and pass it along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole and clearing up is on Twitter at cu newsdata. That's the letter C U newsdata. Yep, check out our feed on Twitter at CEM News Data. That's at CEM News Data. I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>